Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thanks so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. So great to be back. Uh, I'm so excited for tonight's show because I have the opportunity to speak with an aerospace engineer who works at NASA. Um, Her name is April Blackwell, and her exact title is ISS Attitude, Determination, and Control Officer. And I will let her explain exactly what that is when she joins me in just a moment. Uh, Don't forget to stay with us during the breaks to hear from our watch team. Each of our contributors brings you information from their work in the fields of health and finance, law, military, and technology. And be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net to see who's coming up next on the show. If you happen to miss the uh, live show on Sunday nights, you can always pick up the podcast, which airs across every major podcast platform. So be sure to subscribe again at our website, which is womentowatch.net. And that's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very honored and excited to have with me on the show this evening, April Blackwell. April, thanks so much for being with me. Good evening. I'm thrilled to be on your show. It is great to have you. Um, You know, what you get to do and and the work that you're involved in, I think, is so incredibly exciting. And um, I love the fact that you really made this decision very, very young, that that you wanted to be an astronaut, which I think is unusual to make that decision at five years old and then actually be working in the field now. So I guess when I read that, my, my first question was, how were you introduced to um, space and, and what's your earliest memory of, of making that decision? 
Yeah, um, I was. I have to say, I was influenced by my dad. Uh, he is an aircraft mechanic, so a little different. Um, but he grew up in the '60s, so he got to see the moon landings, and um, he was just enamored with space. And he, you know, would pull out all of his space memorabilia and show me, um, you know, when I was growing up. And so I think just seeing him so excited about it got me really excited about it. And then you, you know, you actually stuck with it all throughout school, um, which I think is impressive as well. Um, tell me about, well, first, tell me about your high school years where I know with this dream in mind, you decided to study Russian. And I wondered what other activities you were involved in during those years and how you managed to kind of um, stay focused and, and stay away from some of the distractions we often have as young girls. Yeah, um, I, I have to credit uh, my passion for wanting to work in the aerospace field and ultimately to be an astronaut um, for sort of keeping me on the straight and narrow. All the decisions I made, you know, even back in junior high, uh, really was, was driven by that dream. Um, so, of course, with the ISS, uh, we all know that that is a partnership with our Russian colleagues. And so uh, my high school just happened to be the only one in the district that had a teacher that taught Russian. Um, so I guess maybe I saw that as a sign. So I signed <laughs> up for Russian as my foreign language. Um, I was also really lucky. No, Sorry. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you how hard that was, learning that language. Uh, it wasn't easy. It has a completely different <laughs> alphabet. Um, I haven't studied many other languages. I did some Spanish, um, but it, it definitely is challenging. And actually, even now, talking to some of the astronauts that I work with, they say learning that the foreign language for them is one of the hardest parts of their entire astronaut training course. Wow. Um, so I thought I would just get a head start on it, you know. Uh, I was also I was also really um, lucky to have uh, some advanced math courses available to me and able to take you know some of those AP classes and stuff that get you set up for college. Um, I also you know in researching astronauts and and even more recently NASA has sort of broadened the scope of what it means to be an astronaut. So it's not just test pilots. Um, military officers. You know, now we have medical doctors, we have marine biologists, uh, we have all sorts of different flavors of, of uh, careers that bring you to being an astronaut. So with that in mind, um, I, I didn't want to limit myself. And so in high school, you know, I was involved in marching band was one of my favorite activities. Um, and so I guess you could say it's that whole steam, including the arts, um, you know, that helped to make me a well-rounded person and maybe will help me someday be an astronaut. I, I think it will. Um, you know, for the listeners who you and I both referenced ISS and just so they know that's International Space Station, can you t tell us exactly what your title means, Attitude, Determination and Control Officer? What do you do exactly? Yes. Uh, as we all know, NASA, even NASA itself is an acronym. So and NASA, we love acronyms. Um, you spit out my title there. So for short, we call ourselves ADCO. Um, okay. And sort of in, in layman's terms, we are the pilots of the ISS. 
So we make sure that the International Space Station is oriented correctly. Um, of course, we have those big solar arrays on board, so we need to make sure those are at the correct angles pointing to the sun. So our, our attitude um, determines that. And then, of course, if we're going to do a docking or an undocking or an EVA, we may have to set up the space station in um, a very specific attitude. So that could include doing a maneuver um, or, you know, updating different parameters to make sure we're flying correctly. Uh, we also coordinate with our Russian counterparts because the Russian portion of the International Space Station is what has the thrusters. So um, if we need to get out of the way for some debris, we actually coordinate with them to use their thrusters and move out of the way. Wow. So how many, how many people do what you do on any given day? We have uh, three shifts, so there are nine-hour shifts with an hour of handover. Um, so there's three, at least three people every day. Sometimes we have um, an extra person on if we have a busy shift, like a docking or something. We call those specialists, so that's what I am. Um, and then we have a, what we call a backroom support, so they are kind of a double set of eyes so we can make sure we send all the right commands and uh, we're communicating correctly with the rest of the team. Uh, there's always a person on call um, in case in the middle of the night, you know, there's some emergency, then we can call in the person on call to come be that extra set of eyes. Um, and then we also have what's called an increment lead. So each expedition that's on board ISS, uh, we assign uh, a person in our group to be sort of the overseer of all the major events for that expedition. Wow. We're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more um, about that and whether you're the only woman doing this. Stay with us as we go into our break for our military watch and our health watch. I'm talking to April Blackwell, aerospace engineer with NASA. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, military watch. Hello, I'm Carol Eggert, a 30-year veteran of the U.S. Army, and now leading Comcast's Military and Veterans Affairs team. I hope these short sessions increase your knowledge of the military and lessen what has come to be known as the civilian-military divide. Did you know that unemployment rate for military spouses is a shocking 26%, which is more than seven times the national average? Well, why is this and why does it matter? Well, think of the resume of a military spouse. It would show frequent job changes due to military reassignment if they find a job in the new location, or multiple gaps in employment if they don't, making it very likely that they won't get beyond the initial screening of most employers. Spouse unemployment is a national security issue. Mission readiness of our force means that we must consider family readiness. Service members are much more likely to remain in our all-volunteer force if the spouse can pursue a meaningful career. Just as civilian families, economics require that most military families are dual career. So you can see how spouse unemployment is a threat to the strength of our force and therefore a threat to our national security. At Comcast, we understand the challenges of military spouses. We have a special benefits program for our military spouse employees, such as our relocation assistance program for spouses who must make a move due to military-related reasons. This program includes guaranteed interview if a military spouse locates within our footprint, 
connections with our partner companies if outside of our footprint, or a generous transition package. In addition to our direct hiring efforts, we provide thought leadership to other organizations as a member of the U.S. Chamber Hiring Our Heroes Military Spouse Employment Advisory Committee. And we are one of the founding supporters of their initiative to hire 100,000 military spouses by the end of 2021. Additionally, we are a longtime partner of the Department of Defense Military Spouse Employment Program, which gives us the opportunity to advise on best practices when it comes to reaching, hiring, and retaining military spouses. We must all do our part, and thankfully, like Comcast, many employers are. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Hepatitis, inflammation of the liver, which can result from physical injury, reactions to medications, or infection from bacteria or viruses, like mononucleosis. You've probably heard of the common viruses causing hepatitis A, B, and C. Hepatitis A is the one most likely to come and go. Hepatitis B and C can stay in your system, causing chronic liver disease, leading to cirrhosis, cancer, even death. Let's focus on hepatitis A, very contagious. It leaves the infected person in the stool. And if that person does not wash his or her hands after the bathroom, they can spread the virus to anything they touch, food, water, even shaking your hand. Hence the sign in public restrooms, employees must wash their hands, especially if they're touching food. Community outbreaks in recent years with foods that were raw or minimally cooked, like salad, strawberries, oysters, Symptoms in about 70% of adults, but rare in children under age 6. Usually mild, flu-like, fatigue, nausea, belly pain, but unlike the flu, yellow skin and eyes, and look for dark urine and light stool. Very rarely joint pain or rash. The good news, no need for the hospital or medication, except the rare, under 1%, severe case of fulminant hepatitis, which can lead to liver failure. Even better news, there's a safe vaccine available for adults and children starting at age one. Get the vaccine, especially if you travel. August 1, 2019, the Philadelphia Department of Health declared a public health emergency. In 2018, our city had 20 cases. Last year, an outbreak with 426 cases and four people died. About 60% linked to use of illegal drugs and homelessness, but no clear cause for the others. Several patients were at Jefferson and four needed liver transplants. So divas, remember, an ounce of prevention. Get the vaccine for hepatitis A. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Thanks so much for being with us this evening. I'm talking to April Blackwell, and again, she's an aerospace engineer who works at NASA. And um, we were talking about, you know, what exactly you do every day, and, and I was curious as to whether um, you were the only woman in this role. 
That's a great question. Uh, so we have around 30 certified folks uh, that actually sit on the console that I sit on. And uh, I did the calculation, and I think it's around 23% are actually women. So um, we make up about a quarter of the certified folks for our specific console. Um, of course, there's several other consoles in mission control. But it's actually the most uh, – I've. this is the – the group that I've been able to work with the most women throughout my entire career. So it's really an honor. Oh, that's wonderful. And do you see it? Do you see it increasing? I mean, I know that you are very much involved in trying to educate and encourage young girls to explore the field. Are you seeing an increase every year? Um, that one's a little bit harder. I wouldn't say we're necessarily seeing an increase. Um, our numbers have stayed pretty steady but uh, I, I think we have a ways to go still on encouraging girls and women to take up roles in the aerospace industry. Okay. I think, you know, the more stories like yours that we share, I think will be helpful because I think there's probably a lot of things in engineering in that field that um, are available as careers that, that girls don't know about. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to, April, I wanted to talk about uh, definitely one of the most um, major challenges for you. And when we talk about your life story is being diagnosed with diabetes type one when you were 11. And of course, that completely changed the trajectory of your dream to be an astronaut. Tell me, um, and I, and I would say from, you know, reading your story, you, you really had a quite a positive attitude around it fairly quickly. But describe for the listeners um, what you were feeling when you first got that diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so type 1 diabetes is an automatic disqualification on the NASA astronaut application, even as of now. So this is 20 years later. Um, when I sort of put two and two together and understood that that would impact my ability to reach my ultimate dream. Um, it, it was definitely <laughs> devastating as an 11 year old. Um, and I did a little bit of soul searching and tried to figure out if aerospace was really where I wanted to go. And, and I just kept coming back to it. So I decided to just kind of shift a little bit and uh, follow my passion, which I think is a huge thing for anyone um, sort of looking at what career path they want to do follow your passion. Um, which kept leading me back to aerospace and working at NASA, wanting to work on rockets, wanting to work with astronauts. Um, so that kind of kept me motivated through the whole thing. And now I've just changed my ultimate goal slightly. Instead of being an astronaut, I just want to be the first type 1 diabetic in space. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, I think... Um one of your mantras, one of your personal mantras, everything happens for a reason, um, is a good one. And I wondered if you can kind of give us an example in your life when that mantra proved itself. Yes, uh, I have a great one, actually. So when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, it was in uh, the end of 2009. The shuttle was retired in 2011. And so NASA was kind of winding down the shuttle program. And unfortunately, that meant, uh, you know, jobs were slim at NASA. So I sort of took this leap of faith and um, moved 
across the country. So I grew up in Arizona, moved to Alabama to work with the Army um, as a flight test engineer. And I didn't even really know this was a career possibility, you know, through my my college career. So it was kind of an interesting leap. But what that turned out to be was an amazing experience. I got experience working with military officers and test pilots. Um, all of the the men there really embraced me and, you know, were a champion for me and my type 1 diabetes. Part of the job entailed um, getting an FAA medical clearance in order to fly on board uh, experimental Army helicopters and be an engineer and look at data while we flew. Uh, so that was sort of a hurdle to overcome uh, during that time. And so, you know, after I made that first hurdle, I got to fly on all these cool helicopters. I got to do the dunker course, which is basically being drowned alive for two days straight. Um, the <laughs> altitude chamber uh, parachute course. I got to fly in our aerobatic chase plane. Um, and all wow. of this really set me up perfectly Um, with these real-time data monitoring skills, communication, teamwork for my job at NASA, and it transferred over just beautifully. So are you fearless by nature? (laughs) As you're describing these things, I'm thinking I'd be scared to death. Um, And you, you, you you describe it with such excitement. To me, it's definitely exciting. I won't say I've never been scared. I've definitely been scared. <laughs> um, but to me, it's more of an adventure. And, um, you know, you only live once. So you got to you gotta take the bull by the horns and, I don't know, do these fun things that might scare you, but it reminds you you're alive, I guess. Wow. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with April Blackwell, an aerospace engineer with NASA. And we're going to go into our next break. Stay with us for our legal watch and our finance watch. We'll be right back. Now, now the women to watch. Legal watch. Legal watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard's Bar Law Firm for Legal Watch. Many organizations have begun looking at loan forgiveness for the Paycheck Protection Program or PPP loans they took out over the last few months. The constantly changing guidance and regulations released by the Small Business Administration have made it exceptionally challenging for employers to be certain their loans will be forgiven. Ballard is hosting a webinar August 5th from 1 to 2 Eastern Time to help you navigate the steps that can be taken to maximize the potential for loan forgiveness. The headlines of the webinar include which PPP loan forgiveness application to use, permissible uses for PPP loans, maximizing loan forgiveness, savings provisions and safe harbors that may help forgiveness reductions, documentation and certifications required for forgiveness, and timing on when to submit the forgiveness applications and when the decisions can be expected. You can access our webinar at www.ballardspar.com. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar for your legal watch, and we're here to help. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Wealth. We've heard the stories and sometimes seen the headlines. 
a parent dies, and within a short time, family wealth is diminished or maybe even depleted, and family harmony is destroyed. This happens to families in every socioeconomic level. One of the most common reasons for this is that parents fail to prepare their heirs for the roles and responsibilities they'll have to assume after mom and dad are gone. Not preparing them can set them and your plan up for failure. It's important to take the time to communicate the plan. Even if you choose not to share the financial details, let your heirs know where to find the information and how to get access to your important documents. Tell them about the people on your team, such as your financial advisor, accountant, and or attorney that they should contact immediately after your death. Preparing them for the actions they'll need to take can help alleviate stress during the emotional time immediately after your passing. Although your estate plan documents detail what goes where, they usually don't explain why. For example, unequal distributions may be confusing to your children without the proper context or instructions. Communicating with your kids now, either one-on-one -on -one or in a family meeting, can help to avoid confusion or hurt feelings after your death. It's also a great opportunity to share your values with the next generation so that they can continue your legacy. If you can't find the courage for a conversation, at least consider writing your wishes and objectives down and keeping them with your other important papers. By discussing the importance of estate planning with your heirs now, you can teach them about the process and why it's critical for them to understand it as well. In addition, recognize that your estate plan may impact the planning that your children implement for their own families. At Fortis, we often work with families to help them articulate their estate planning goals and facilitate the process to make them a reality. This involves engaging the next generation and helping them to understand their role in the outcome. Don't keep your kids in the dark or let the opportunity to communicate the plan and your why. It can be as simple as starting with, I know you might think of this as an uncomfortable topic, but it's important to discuss it so you're prepared. This is Terry. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm talking this evening with my guest, April Blackwell, aerospace engineer with NASA, which is very, very cool. Um, and you were describing, I, I guess, one of those uh, things that happened in your life that turned out to be a blessing in disguise working um, with the Army. And, you know, April, I think about the people that you work with regularly and astronauts in general. And I was curious whether there is a common thread among these people. In other words, what what type of people, men and women, are they that that decide they want to go into aerospace? And, and is there even a common thread? Um, I think... When you look at astronauts, which are kind of the tip of the spear, you know, for the International Space Station and our missions to a low Earth orbit and the moon and Mars, I think a couple of traits that I've picked out just from working with them is that they're very passionate and they're very humble people. Um, you know, they these people, if you if you read their biographies, I mean, they've done incredible things. Some are, you know, test pilots that have flown tens of different uh, aircraft. Some are medical doctors and Navy SEALs. And, you know, the list goes on and on. The one part of their biography would be an incredible life story for a normal person. Yes. Um, and they are just incredibly humble about all of their accomplishments. And together, when you combine all that um, sort of with NASA's mission, it's just that, you know, it's off ISS mission is off the earth for the earth so we're kind of all in this together we're we're collaborating across countries that haven't always had the rosiest relationships 
mm-hmm. um, and we're we're teammates on the the spaceship Earth, and so it's just an incredibly inspirational place to work. Uh, you know, what's the culture like there at NASA? What is, how would you describe that? And of course, you have you know you you haven't been there in the space. I will say you know for quite some time, but um, what is that culture yeah. like? Uh, it's definitely um, hard work. I won't say it's easy. I mean, going to the moon and low Earth orbit is hard. It's hard work. Um, we're incredibly diligent, and um, safety is definitely a priority. Um, you know, NASA has had some tragedies in the past. And so one of the things we have to do every year is read the Columbia Accident Investigation Report, um, which is incredibly humbling, you know, that uh, some engineers have brought up some concerns and they were dismissed. And so that has definitely become part of our culture that, you know, if you see something, say something, speak up. Um, And otherwise, I would just say all of us love working at NASA. I don't know a single person in our group that, you know, just does it for the money or does it because it's a job. It's always a passion uh, for everyone, which makes it just a really fun place to work. Um, April, I wanted to share a quote that, that you said in another interview. You said, as flight controllers, we live the qualities of discipline, competence, confidence, toughness, responsibility, teamwork, and vigilance. And we're always aware that suddenly and unexpectedly, we might find ourselves in a role where our performance is ultimate consequences. That's a heavy, um, I don't want to say burden, but responsibility. And I wonder what you do to kind of manage your mind for the role that you're in? In other words, remaining calm and focused and and alert. It's really interesting that you bring that up. So those are part of what we call our foundations of flight operations. And they were written um, by the very first flight director who came up with the concept of mission control. And it's interesting, I'll actually pull from, you know, one of the challenges in my life, which is having type 1 diabetes. And I, when I talk to kids who have diabetes and, you know, it it feels kind of like a burden, Um, you can actually look at what it takes to manage a chronic illness like type 1 diabetes or think of another challenge in your life. And you've probably applied a lot of these same skill sets um, to overcoming that obstacle. And so for me, I like to tell kids that, um, you know, type 1 diabetes bakes in these qualities that make me such a good flight controller. Um, So I I sort of have these innate abilities just because of this challenge and and obstacle that I've overcome. But it's definitely a mindset. It takes practice. Uh, The training for uh, my job is about two years, so we call it kind of an extra master's degree. Um, And the whole time you're you're being graded on these characteristics and whether or not you're living up, you know, to a a situation that could happen real time where Mm -hmm. you have to make hard calls and pull on these characteristics in order to find a solution that's safe for the crew. At one point I read you actually worked with NASA doctors and had an opportunity to teach them about the technology you use to manage your diabetes. What was that like? Yes. So it may be something you don't think about, but, um, you know, most of the NASA doctors deal with 
what I like to call perfect specimens. So astronauts are, you know, we all know they're in peak physical condition. They're absolutely, you know, insane human beings, basically. You know, they're top of the game mentally and physically. Um, and so it's interesting because the NASA doctors that also do our flight controller physicals and medical clearances um, don't have a lot of experience with type 1 diabetes and the technology we use to manage the disease. And it's kind of the same with the FAA, which a lot of these antiquated rules and laws are changing. So I got to um, you know, teach my NASA doctor about the continuous glucose monitor I use, the Dexcom, in order to basically see telemetry streaming from my own body um, and how I use an insulin pump to manage my insulin levels over the course of a day and especially during a shift in mission control. So it's been fun to teach them and um, sort of have them be a champion in my court as well. Wow. We're going to go into our last break. I'm talking to April Blackwell um, from NASA. Stay with us for our Tech Watch with Mary Manzo. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manzo of Pathways Consulting Group. The technology evolution is impacting the way the mix of generations communicate at home, school, and work, and is a part of our everyday life. The amount of social media platforms keeps increasing, and to date, it's estimated the amount of users on these sites is approximately 2.6 billion. Generation Z alone uses about five different social media sites a day. This generation doesn't know a world without smart devices, and according to some reports, spend as much as three to four hours online a day. I think it's more than that, but let's go with those statistics. For reference, Gen Z is anyone born between 1995 to mid-2000s, and as an FYI, they would rather have working Wi-Fi than a working bathroom. It's a fact that once something is posted on social media, it's nearly impossible to remove its mark. Please take this seriously. Many teenagers act on impulse. They want to express themselves, and social media is the quickest and easiest way to do that. Like many adult figures, they're using social media as a means of branding themselves and creating an image. But once that thought or picture is posted, it can be shared and reshared and viewed by others and even worse with potential predators. The post tells the world something about who they are and sets a tone. So it's important that young people know that what they post today will be how they're seen in the future by friends, family, schools, and employers. Think of it this way. How many famous figures have made the tabloids because of something they did or didn't do? That story can change their careers, for better or worse, for the rest of their lives. When we post on social media, we become the author, editor, publisher of our own story or the stories we tell about others. And once we post that story, it's out there forever. As adults, we have the opportunity to guide teenagers to act responsibly. Next week, we'll take a look at why teenagers rely so much on social media, and specifically girls. I'm Mary at PathwaysCG.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. 
Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We're back with April Blackwell. Uh, April's an engineer working with NASA. And April, I actually got a a question from one of our listeners. um, And I thought it was a great question. I didn't mention yet in the show that you happen to also be a mom. You have two children, um, a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home. So that is a very big part of your life. And um, his question was, would you be able, if you had the opportunity to go into space, would you be willing and able to leave your two beautiful children for a long duration for a space flight? That's a really great question. I think that's something that a lot of astronaut moms think about um, and moms with dangerous jobs. You know, there's plenty of moms who are in the military and deployed right. um, and other dangerous jobs. Um for me, I, as hard as it would be, I absolutely would uh, be willing to do it. And the reason is because I want my kids to see me following my dreams in the hopes that they will have the courage and confidence to follow their dreams. Um, because th- there's nothing more that you want as a mom than to see your kids follow their dreams. So it's important to be the, a role model for that in their lives. And your children, um, is their names, Zara and Otto? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. And there is it a boy and a girl? Boy and a girl. Yep. Yeah. And they're pretty young. You know, perhaps your four year old. Do they ask questions about what you do? And are you able to, you know, tell stories that that are understandable for their age level? Yes, actually, um, it's really fun because uh, I'm not sure if all your listeners know, but you can actually see the International Space Station fly over at night. Uh, you can go onto NASA's website and type in your location and you'll get exact timing of when it should be passing over. So we do that often with the kids. We'll be sitting outside looking for satellites and watching for the ISS. So she knows exactly what it looks like when the ISS passes over and she'll say it's mommy's spaceship. Um, (laughs) And then the other thing, you know, sometimes I have to work weird shifts um, late at night or in the evening. And so when I go to work, and say bye to her, you know, I'll say, I'll, I'll tell the astronauts hi for you. And so that kind of gives her an idea, you know, mommy's taking care of the astronauts and flying the spaceship. So, wow, that's very cool. You know, yeah. sometimes parents are, you know, athletes or celebrities or, but I think what you're doing is very cool. And for the kids to be <laughs> able to, you know, tell their friends, um, Let's, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your blog, Nerdy April. And first of all, why did, why did you decide to write it? Because, it, you know, it takes time to manage a, a blog and keep it fresh and current. Yeah. Um, so I actually started the blog when I was an intern for NASA. And that was in, let's see, the summer of 2009. Mm-hmm. So it's been going on about a decade now. Um, And it was originally to kind of keep my family informed about all of my NASA adventures because I was having a really awesome time. Um, And then it sort of shifted, you know, because I was coming up against these obstacles, um, having type 1 diabetes and trying to navigate the course through an FAA medical clearance at the time. Um, And so I wrote a lot about that and about you know, being a woman in an aerospace field where I was the only woman in our group originally. Um, And so 
it's been really fun to sort of have this community online where, uh, you know, I get these reader emails. A lot of them are actually parents of type 1 diabetics um, mm. that said, you know, hey, you gave me hope because my kid wants to be an astronaut and I don't know how to tell them that they can't be. Oh. Um, and so how we're navigating all these rules and regulations and how the, the landscape is changing for, you know, non-perfect specimens to go into space and, you know, women in aerospace it's it's been this really fun community um to see grow and to encourage and i really like the sort of reader emails and one-on-one connections that i've been able to make do you have do you go out and speak to to young girls about the field yeah so uh, nasa obviously has lots of volunteer opportunities so i do those as often as i can lately it's been a lot of virtual um, events right yeah but yeah, there's also a lot of diabetes conferences um, where I get to share my story and, um, you know, tell people that their dreams are impossible and that diabetes actually can help you. You know, it, it instills these qualities that are good as flight controllers and basically every other job. So, April, what would have to happen for you to be allowed to go? Is there something that you're you're. Well, not, I mean, you're not a scientist working, you know, to cure diabetes, but I wonder, you know, is there any promising research and and what is it that you're most hopeful for that would allow you to go? Yeah, there's a lot of research going on and, um, you know, I'm not a medical professional, so you can read all about that online if you want. There's several different, um, I'll say, quote, solutions um, that people are pursuing to try to find a cure for diabetes. But I think in the interim, um, you know, it's it's a risk game, right? So NASA picks these people in top physical conditions because it lowers the risk that they'll have, you know, some episode or some injury while they're in space. So if we can baseline the risk of having type 1 diabetes and bring it down, um, you know, to very minimally above a normal person or right at a normal person, um, by using diabetes technology like a Dexcom CGM or a tandem insulin pump, um, you know, that can really open the door for us to be able to go to space as, uh, you know, maybe paying customers on some of these commercial entities. Um, I'm not sure if NASA will ever quite get there just because uh, the risk for them may be too high for sort of these long-duration missions. And, of course, going deep space or to the moon is is a whole other ball game. Yeah. Um, but I have hope that using these commercial space entities to get us to space, even for, you know, a 15 minute flight or a one orbit, you know, that we can bridge the gap by using this really awesome diabetes technology that's out there. And how soon do you think that'll be happening? These, these commercial flights? Um, so there's a few companies working on it. I think in actually in the next year or so, they'll be getting their first paying customers off the ground. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe I can get a diabetes company to sponsor me to go to space. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I'll just throw that out there, you know? Um, but I would, I would love to, uh, you know, be a, a test subject for diabetes research on a 15 minute suborbital flight, that would be wow. a dream come true. So. It's, it's amazing that, you know, we're even having this conversation. Um, we just have two minutes left. Tell me what is something maybe that you're excited about or that's happening in the, in the field of aerospace that we might not be aware of, if anything? Oh man, I am just so excited about 
the next 10 and 20 years. Um, at NASA specifically, we're talking about boots on the moon in 2024, which for someone who never got to see the Apollo moon landings is incredibly exciting. And just talking with my management and, you know, finding out that as mission controllers were uniquely equipped to help come up with the operations concepts for these new vehicles. And, you know, we'll be working with the human landing systems that are taking humans back to the moon. Um, it just it just gets me so fired up. And I, I can't wait for this generation to have that Apollo moment. And hopefully we'll have a new moment, a Mars moment um, in the not too distant future. So. Yeah. Well, listen, I have every um, ounce of faith in you getting there. And um, I, I thank you so much, April, for coming on and sharing your story. We're going to be following. Absolutely. I can't wait to share more with you. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you to our watch team and sponsors for their support. And thanks so much for tuning in to hear the life stories of some amazing women. Have a great week, everyone. Stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.